Hi, Tabea, and thank you so much for your time and for being so willing to join us for my master thesis research and yeah, to talk about what you have been doing for the last almost eight years, I think. And so uh, happy to have you here, Tabea Rishi, with us. <laughs> <laughs> Gabi, thanks so much for having me. It's a huge pleasure and I'm excited to be speaking with you about all these things that have been like keeping us busy in the team. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we can start talking a little bit about Hostwriter because you are the founder and CEO of Hostwriter. And of course, my thesis is more focused on on bias and news as an innovative example to improve and to foster diversity in newsrooms. But without Hostwriter, Unbiased um, News wouldn't exist. So maybe could you give us an introduction about Hostwriter? Um, of course, like it's, and I really think like for me in my mind, like the two things are really like the one developed out of the other. So Hostwriter started in 2013 um, as a cross-border collaboration platform. So the idea of uh, like you, you sign up, you have a profile, it's open for journalists. Um, and at the time for me, like I was, oh, I just finished my, my journalism training. Actually, there's a brief story, so let me share this brief story, like how Hostwriter came to be, how we how it came to be that we founded this cross-border platform. I just finished my journalism studies, was like brand new in journalism, and after the after my training and my first job, which was at the German National Radio at the time in 2009, I guess, yeah, I had some couple of months off, and I actually went on a couch surfing trip together with a friend. So I went on coach surfing, I was in Turkey, in, in Syria, in Lebanon. And then in, like, especially in Syria, like we stayed with, I mean, you know, like it's like couch surfing. So like you have really like nice contacts, people, like normal people you would not necessarily meet. Usually it's, it's it was like young people. I was staying with like artists, like the guy was like a dramaturg for cinema and the, and the lady was like working at a theater. And a year later, like in December, 2010, in Tunisia, it started what was later called the Arab Spring. So Tunisia and then Syria, Egypt, like the whole Middle East, because there were revolutions, like people took to the streets. Um, and it just happened because I was couch surfing, not so far, not, like just previously, I had all these good contacts in the region. So in my brand new job at the radio, you know, I could pitch very, very good stories. I could say, okay, you know, I know these people because the people I stayed with later became activists in the revolutions. So I ended up, in my very first year as a journalist, I ended up um, reporting like long format essays for the German National Radio. And I also went there with a friend and I, I did a reportage for television in my very first year. So for me, it was like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> like, and this was only because I had these good contacts because of Couchsurfing. So then the first step was actually just getting in touch with, with the people who founded Couchsurfing and asked them, do they want to add a box? Um, I'm a journalist because it, this is so useful for research. But they weren't interested in that. They just wanted to have their Couchsurfing leisure, I, I don't know, like not a professional platform for journalists. And honestly, like this was a starting point, like from the own experience, of how much like how in-depth reporting you can do and like collaborate with local people who have like a much deeper insight into what's, what was going on. This was really the idea behind Hostwriter. So I got two friends, Tamara Anthony, Sandra Ziste, now she's married to Sandra Wild is now her name. 
and we just started with that really like we put up a uh, like a very basic code and we launched at a conference the Republica in Berlin which is like a huge conference so there was a lot of visibility and within the first 24 hours we had 100 members and this was like this is how it started kind of <laughs> more countries and now it's like 6000 registered reporters in more than 160 countries yeah now we have our own couch surfing network <laughs> Amazing. Actually, I didn't know that super interesting story because I love couch surfing <laughs> too. And, and I love host writer, of course. <laughs> it was just like it started with couch surfing, but then of course, uh, like you can do more than just stay, but you can collaborate. So like this whole cross-border collaboration and like a new journalism approach added to it. But yeah, like this is kind of where, where it came from. Nice. And Tabea, with Unbiased News as a publisher, this is a remote cross-border newsroom. It has been almost a year since Unbiased News launched, and I want to ask you, what do you know now that you didn't know from the beginning of this project? <laughs> Basically everything, you know, because it, it started as a hypothesis. We, we, it started like, let's try this. So, like, we didn't know. Um, you know, it's like kind of building on this hostwriter idea of like uh, working, collaborating with local colleagues. I think like this is really the key. Like the, to me, like that's kind of the essence in the manifesto. We called it like no parachute journalism, like not like people jumping into another country, uh, reporting and then going back, re um, reporting to the audience, but really like working together with local people who have like much, much deeper insight and also have a different way of how things are communicated or a different like every country kind of has its narrative of how, how world events are like are, are told and, and different world you can see different worldviews in that and I think this is so interesting like for me I was never really interested in kind of what is the single truth and then this is here how it happens but really to understand what it means for people or how it's communicated so with this newsroom, like the starting point was there's an editorial team and we work together with local authors, right? Like there was this open call for pitches, like the team got together with Tina Lee as editor-in-chief at five additional remotes. And I'm sure Tina told you all about this, how the selection process kind of recruiting was very important. And like who can join as an editor, who has access to these different regions, different countries, different experiences. So this idea really of like commissioning local journalists and then like finding this cross-border angle, kind of finding this, what makes a local story interesting for an international audience. I think like this is kind of the, I feel like the unique approach that we are like, practicing with, with Unbiased News. And I think what, what personally what I learned, I mean, it's really this, like, you, you don't know what comes, this is the nice part, right? Like you don't know what comes out of it. Like you start something and you can make sure that like structurally it's set up in a way that enables a different point of view it enables a very diverse story to be told I'm just very happy that it worked out like so many times it worked out so I think like the biggest thing I learned from the newsroom was like holy cow I mean like you know like let's take a risk let's try this and, and this can actually work and I think what made us like the confidence to try this was very much rooted in, in a book project like we had a pilot in 2019 where we kind of did a similar thing having a edit, remote editorial team um, commissioning local journalists. Um, and we produced a book um, that was called also Unbiased the News, so kind of we kept the name, Unbiased the News, Why Diversity Matters for Journalism. So we, you know, there was an idea of, okay, this could work. And then with the, with the newsroom, it was just kind of scaling up this idea, like, like bigger stories, more investigations. 
I think with passion and commitment and dedication and also some flexibility, like giving us time, allowing this time, this is, I think, the biggest lesson. I'm excited. I think it's it's good. <laughs> Amazing. And Tabea, when I think about Unbiased Newsroom and other newsrooms, they are completely different, right? As the way they approach and the methods and how it's completely remote with editors all over the world. And I wonder if, if there are any challenge of making, enabling more diverse voices and journalists who haven't had the opportunity to be published. What do you consider the challenges of creating a newsroom that is more diverse? Oh, there's a, I think it starts with empathy, like it requires a lot of empathy. And I think this question is like, you should really direct this to Tina and the editorial team. Like, and you also, I mean, you are part of the editorial team. Like, you know, that sometimes it, it takes additional time. You know, it comes from basic stuff, like, for example, access to the internet. This is very, is very unequally distributed around the world. So, for example, um, Mercy, one of the editors, um, for weeks she couldn't get in touch with the with the people in Cameroon or I know from the Zimbabwe story. Um, and sometimes you just don't know. Maybe there is like, I mean, there's like politically fragile situations on the ground. People might not have access to internet for a while. So I think like it really takes like empathy and trust. It's less like it's not a machine, right? Like it's not okay. Here's like publication day and there's a deadline and yada yada yada. Of course, there's like structures and, you know, like it's like there's workflows, etc. But like you're always like when you when you take this seriously and it's more than lip service and you do want to have more diverse voices, then I think it what it takes, it's like it takes like sometimes it takes a bit more time. You know, like we work also with people who English is not their native language. And by the way, like you, you hear it is also not my native language. So, of course, like you, you, need, you need to consider these extra loops of kind of supporting with like language editing or like journalism it's not a craft that is internationally the same like so sometimes like for example we are based in berlin so for us it's like the german press code and there's differences like for example in germany it would be illegal to film like use a hidden camera unless for like very very precise legal reasons otherwise like it's, it would be illegal to publish some things In other countries, that's not at all the case. Like, it's very normal, you know, like, even if it's, like, slightly investigative, of course, you would use a hidden camera. So kind of things like that, like, I feel we are, like, every member in the team is a, constantly a translator, a translator of practices, of storytelling, of skills, of, like, this empathy and, like, trust and, like, taking time. I think this is an important thing. And the other thing, to give an example, like, I for almost 10 years, I was working for public broadcasters in Germany and you know they're like basically most of the work is done by freelancers including myself I work there as a, as a freelancer so this means that the team that you work with on day one is not the team that you were that that is there on day two so like honestly even from I, I was working as an editor there and even though like I had the best intentions of like I wanted to have more diverse voices like I really took the time and I like I do have the contacts and I did you know like I could know For this topic, it would be amazing to talk with that person. But honestly, I mean, <laughs> I feel so bad about this, but seriously, I think these are some of the structural barriers that we are that we follow so much. When the person would speak with an accent, I knew it would take a lot of love from the editors who work then for the interview that they take time to edit this correctly. Because when you don't edit, the, when you pre-record, like you couldn't do it live because the person needs a bit more time to think and put the, the sentences together. 
but then you need someone who edits this carefully. And honestly, sometimes I would check who is working in the week the interview will be aired. And if I knew the person wouldn't take this extra loop, then then I wouldn't take that I would always go for the usual book by the ones for the interviews who always speak on any topic. So like it, it um you know, like sorry for taking a bit longer to explain that, but I think this is so central that it's it's really up to the individual people to take the time to to you know to have empathy. This is in my experience the big barrier that is preventing more diverse voices because you, if it's quick and there's no time and it has to be quick, 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 you always go for the same people who like who are native speakers and who, you know, have an opinion on everything. Yeah. Tabea, I, uh, through my research, I have also read so many editorial policies and from so many different newsrooms all over Europe. And when you read the statements, their statements are there, right? They want to be more diverse. They want to create a more equal journalism, but it's so difficult going from that statement to the actual practice in the day by day, right? And I would like to know you as a leader of the team and founder and publisher and Unbiased News, how do you make sure that these guidelines are followed in the process of what makes a newsroom every day? That's a really good question. And I think this is really like the lachmus test for many newsrooms, because of course, everybody wants to be more diverse. Of course, you know, like they all have their diversity, equity and inclusion policies out there. But I think the difference, and I think this is something that I that we all in the team, I think, really push forwards, it's like it has to go beyond lip service. And I think the first step, and this is to me like this distinguishes the different newsrooms, those who just say it because now it's like it looks good. And those people who understood the problem and really like understand that they like we need structural change to make journalism better. <laughs> so I think this is kind of the big difference. And I think When you really want to change something, and this is kind of how really like knock on wood, we really honestly tried and keep trying in, in Unbiased News, in the newsroom, it's, you know, like you have to base this on data. It's not enough to say, we want to be more diverse. Like, show me the data. Show me who do you commission. Who, show me who, like who's making the editorial, who's taking the editorial decisions, etc. So I think in our case, like what we tried and like really, and there's always like room for improvement. But I think the starting point is to track Like to know it really, um, and sometimes it also feels like odd. It's, it, it's, you know, it can require of asking your employees, what is your sexual orientation? When you really want to change something, it has to start with data, right? Like it's not enough to say, I want to be more diverse, or we want to do this nice that you want that, but how do you get there? So there's actually, there's lots of structural things to consider really. Like, and the first thing is to track. And this can also require that you have a conversation with your employees and ask them, for instance, when you don't know, like, what is your sexual orientation? And this can feel really odd. And it's, it's again, like, it's a fine line kind of when, but it goes beyond that. It's also like class or caste, it's age, it's like immigration background, yes or no, or migration experience. It has so many different layers, religion, of course, you know, it has so many different layers. So it's the first part would be to have an understanding, okay, what dimensions are relevant for us? What dimensions do we uh, want to become more diverse? And then you start tracking and, and just maybe one small comment. Um, what I see is, is a big challenge for many places. It really starts with recruiting. So it really starts with the very people who you collect, like who can take the decision, what is the decision-making process. It's like it's not enough to have like this one person, like this one black person in the newsroom or like 
it, it really it goes very deep. It's like first getting the right people into the room, but then also having policies in place to ensure that everybody gets heard. If you have a choleric boss who takes all the decisions top down, you can have the most diverse newsroom and, can, and still it'll be like a toxic environment where diversity is not likely to thrive. So kind of numbers, tracking, goals, policies, and starting with recruiting, I think would be kind of the things to consider. And we, what we try to consider very much here. I would like to ask you what has been those achievements of Unbiased News in this first year of being out there in the world? I think the very first achievement is really that we are out there, like we did launch. Um, I think it's also very well known, kind of journalism is a very tough place to fundraise for, especially when it's like nonprofit journalism. Because of this setup, no, it's not that we publish tons of stories every day, so it's more like two larger investigations a month. So for us, uh, you know, like advertisement, for example, doesn't work. It's not about like, it's not that there's like huge click rates, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really like, a, it's a passion project. It's a, I really see this as a, maybe like a pioneering project that I would hope that it inspires also legacy newsrooms, that it inspires the ecosystem to do things differently. So I think just like as such, like our sheer existence, <laughs> Um, like showing that this can work, showing, I think this to me is the biggest success. And like after that, I really think the team that we gathered, I feel is very unique. Like everybody is really bringing in a different perspective. It's still like the way topics are discussed. I think the the selection process of the stories, you know, it's, I think in, when you collaborate and you really mean it, like it's when you really, this is always an adventure, like this is always an experiment and you don't know what's going to come out of it. And I think like having this trust that uh, more more diverse perspectives make it better, like that, that improves the journalism, this is a hypothesis. And But I, to me, I really think like this, it showed that this is working, like that this is possible because like the kind of stories that we got, like to take an example, When Help Hurts, from Ria, she's a blind woman journalist and she's explaining or kind of like a first-person narrative how Me Too gave her a vocabulary to describe and understand her own situation as a woman with disabilities. I think this is, to me, this was really a gem, like when Ria pitched this to the team. It's not something that you come up, it's not that the editorial team sits together and you know, hmm, what do we do? You know, this is not a story that comes top down where an editorial team makes a decision, let's do, let's have a story on X. I feel this was really something that we had this very open call for pitches, asked for structural barriers, asked for personal experiences. And then you come up with a deeply personal example. So I think like this this openness and, and the the kind of stories we then received or like the, the Pfizer story in Nigeria, kind of where it's about like local distrust against uh, the, the vaccine. Where does it come from? And then like not, not not just like religion or conspiracy theories, but that there was a local, the local experience of unethical big pharma tests by Pfizer's in 1996. I mean, this is a local story. Like you only know when you're there, like not even correspondents like that are based in like other countries that they're not necessarily getting a hold of these kind of local stories. So I think this this is this was the biggest success to me. I think that we that we achieved to really get local stories that we wouldn't have known of yeah from abroad or from a correspondent or so. That makes that's that makes me the most proud. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and I actually would like to also mention that that story when help hurts even got uh, published in, in Braille, and that's such a yeah, success. That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really this accessibility. Maybe also a note on accessibility. I think like the example of the story then uh, printed in Braille and again like reaching a larger audience. You know, like which newsroom considers blind people as their audience? And it's mean because there's a lot of people, like people with disabilities. It's not like a, it's not a minority that newsrooms don't have to care about. No, like they are. Like if we take the, the democracy principle um, seriously, and like we want to be inclusive and we want that a large audience can access the stories, I think these are exactly the examples. It was beautiful when it was reprinted in, in Bray. Definitely. Um, just one more thing. Uh, the Like this accessibility is a, is a huge topic, like how can audiences have access to our stories? So another thing that we that is kind of inbuilt in the setup of Unbiased News is we felt it's not enough to just publish on our own website because of course people know us, like they, they know about Unbiased News and of course we do our best to distribute this, etc. But we also launched this Indie Newsroom Alliance. So like for every single story, we also get in touch with local indie outlets in the country where the authors are based or like where the country has the most impact. And we offer the stories for free republication to again make sure like that there's like more local impact, that people um, where the story has impact have access to the story. So like the Indie Newsroom Alliance was also something like an inbuilt thing, how we try to, to ensure that um, uh, that there's more accessibility. And to me, this is also a diversity issue in a way, like <laughs> that people can reach our stories. Definitely. Yeah, and as you said, sometimes people think, yeah, diversity is just about uh, gender and race, but of course it goes really beyond that. Also, diversity means new target groups, a wider audience. And at the end, really, in the end, is just a better journalism. And I think, as you said, quality journalism. So thank you so much, Tavea, for this time. And yeah, I really hope that, as you said, Unbiased News inspires others to take those steps to make journalism more diverse and equal. Thanks. Thank you. This was Broken Edges Podcast. This is a podcast where we try to put together all the pieces that make media and journalism more inclusive, representative, and diverse. If you want to have your part on this mission, please get in touch.